Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Our first Bible lesson is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Before I turn to the Bible, let's go to prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and for this chance to be here in your house and be with you. Father, as we draw near to you, calm the noises around us that we may concentrate only on your message. Open our minds that our intellect can correctly discern your message for us. Open our hearts that your message may live within us and teach our souls that we can show your light to the world. Amen. Amen. Reading from chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the Lord of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I now invite the smallest disciples to come forward for our message with Mrs. Norma Blackman. this morning. Isn't it nice that maybe it's getting a little warmer outside? And spring is going to be coming before too long. And what do you think of when you think of spring? Easter? That's right. Easter's coming up. Well, when I think about spring, I think about starting my garden. 
How many of you have a garden? What do you do in a garden? You plant flowers. That's right, Jack. Well, I plant vegetables in my garden. And if you don't look after this garden and tend to this garden, you won't have very good, uh, a good, very good crop. So whenever we have a garden, we have to plow it and fertilize it and keep the weeds and the grass out of it, don't we? Well, you know, our love for God is the same way. We have to continually look to God for our help as we grow older. We pray. We come to Sunday school and learn God's word. We come to church and listen to Preacher Andrew preach. And as we get older, our faith grows as we grow. So we thank God that we can have our faith as we are young and as we grow older. Okay, this, we're going to give out these um, fishes with the one great hour of sharing. They're going to be in your Sunday school cl- in the classroom for your children's church. The teacher will give them to you, and there's also a sheet of paper that goes with it. And this year, they're quite different. They're going to be a little coloring page that you are able to color. I think you color the fish on both sides of your box. So for all of you, let's hope that you can fill your boxes full, okay? Let's say a little prayer. Dear Lord, be with these children as they go through this week. Be with them as they grow, and maybe they will learn to grow in your love and your faith. For we ask these blessings in your holy name. Amen. Go to Children's Church and go back to your seat. The ones who go back to their seat can get a box in the fellowship hall after church.
So far, we've uh, clapped and danced in worship, um, and, uh, and so for some of you, uh, that makes you uncomfortable. Don't worry, clapping and dancing in worship is not Baptist or just biblical. Um, uh, but two really quick thoughts. Next week, I get to preach a whole sermon on uh, singing, and so I'm going to save a lot of those thoughts. Um, but when our kids were singing earlier, the first song, um, I learned that song when I was a kid, uh, and two thoughts. Um, the first being, when I was growing up, and I had to learn to pray out in front of people, I didn't know how to do that, and I was scared to death to pray out loud. Um, it was not uncommon for somebody to say, hey, Andrew, could you pray at youth group? I'd be in middle school, and they'd say, hey, Andrew, could you pray? And I would just repeat the words of that song. I'd just say, Lord, I love uh, to sing your praises. Uh, Lord, I lift your name on high, That's because you came from heaven to earth. And you went from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Thanks for being with us. Amen. And some people in the room knew I was saying a song, and some people had no idea I was saying a song. And either way, you know what happened? I learned to pray out loud. I learned to pray out loud because the church had given me words to sing, and they had taught them to me in a way that I could remember. And so I've known that song for 25 years and so thank you guys for teaching our kids words that they uh, will remember for the next 25 years. Thank you for teaching them um, how to pray. Thank you uh, for teaching them what it looks like uh, to be foolish uh, for the sake of them knowing the gospel and believing it. Because I'm here today, and many of you are here today and have been for hours, because you would give everything for one more person to believe what we sang the first song, and what was just sung over us, that Jesus paid it all. And now I'm going to give you everything I got to help you, to, to hopefully convince you that because that's true, you can live at peace. If you have Bibles, and I hope you do, I hope you'll turn with me uh, to John uh, chapter uh, 14. We'll start at verse uh, 25. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, uh, which means it's about 75% of the way through the Bible, 70% of the way through the Bible. 75% of the way through the Bible. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Big number 14, little number 25. This is what God's Word uh, says to us today. Jesus is talking here to His disciples. It's the night that He is uh, going to be uh, betrayed. 
He's eating the last meal he will ever eat with his disciples, and it's after supper, and they're hanging out, and they're talking. And Jesus, uh, in this long speech that spans chapters and chapters of Scripture, uh, says this to his disciples. Jesus says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Verse 27. Peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If you brought your own Bible to worship, I would encourage you to underline verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I'll remind you of what Colossians 3, verse 15 said. We heard it as part of this great um, section, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, which we've read every week for the last seven weeks. And some of you have got it memorized now, and praise God. And some of you are like, I'm tired of hearing it. Well, you get to hear it at least three more weeks. Uh, so just memorize it, and then you can say it with us, and it'll be great. Um, but uh, verse 15 says this. It says, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you have been called to peace and be thankful. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to put John 14, verse 27, and Colossians 3, 15 together and realize that this sermon is going to be about peace, that we're going to talk about peace. But before we talk about peace, we have to talk about the absence of peace, the, the inverse of peace. And you may be wondering as you walked in today, what in the world is going on at our communion table? What are all these briars and brambles uh, wrapped around the communion table? Why would anyone want to bar the table in this fashion? And the reason why is that in the Bible and in uh, Christian thought for centuries, uh, briars and brambles have represented that in the world which is not right, that in the world which hurts us, you don't have to live long in this world uh, to get hurt or to hurt someone else. Our world is full of thorns and thistles. You get your dream job only to find out uh, that, that, that your manager is a jerk. Or worse, that he's, he's sleeping with the other secretary. And so there's defensiveness everywhere. Uh, you, you go uh, into retirement. You finally reach the age where you can collect Social Security. And you, you live into your pension. And you're pumped about it. And then you get the cancer diagnosis thorns. These thorns are a visible reminder that the world is infected with death like a garden overseeded with green briar, where fruit trees and foodstuffs should be growing in that garden that Miss Norma was just talking about, where tomatoes and cucumbers and watermelons ought to be growing. Instead, it's all locked up in green briar, and so life hurts we are sick and our world is sick, deadly sick with sin, and it plagues us and infects our heart. Maybe for you, you've experienced these thorns even in church where you finally mustered up the courage to walk into a, bu a building like this one and not a single person said hi. Thorns. Or you finally mustered up the courage to ask that girl out and she said no. Thorns. Or for what feels like the millionth time you got in your car to go pick up your child in carpool and you turn on the radio only to hear that there's been another mass shooting. 
We send our kids to school and they're slaughtered. Thorns. And we spend the next few days arguing whether gun laws or mental health checks or mechanical door stoppers or metal detectors or armed teachers would have stopped the other shooting. And then we more or less do nothing about it because we're anesthetized to the violence in our culture. Thorns. But these thorns aren't just outside of us. They're also in us. They infect our own hearts, wrapping them neatly around with bitterness and lust and anger and greed. Thorns. These thorns are the very opposite of the peace offered in Colossians 3.15. You see, um, they are the very proof that you and I in our world knows no peace, has no peace. Proof that there is a war going on inside of us. You see, in the Bible, this word peace is loaded with meaning and texture. And it comes from an Old Testament word. The Greek word used in both um, John 14 and in Colossians 3 is a a Greek word, uh, irene, which we get the word irene from. If you know a friend named Irene, her name just means peace. So you can just start calling her peace. You'll have no idea why, uh, but you can. And that word is a translation of an old Hebrew word called shalom. Shalom, it means so much more than peace more than the absence of war or the absence of stress or the absence of conflict. Because if peace is not just what's not going on, peace is also has positive import. The word shalom means to be whole or to complete, to be finished, to be fixed, to be restored, for everything to be right, for justice to be done, for wages to be paid, for debts to be gone, for justice to rule, for salvation to come, and for people to be in right relationship. The best translation uh, that most scholars will agree uh, for this word shalom is uh, flourishing. Dr. Neil Plantagna uh, offered a useful definition of this word shalom when he says this. He says uh, that the webbing together of God and humans and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Old Testament prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or ceasefire among enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight a rich state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens the doors and welcomes in the creatures in whom he delights. If we look back at these thorns, shalom, is, shalom would not be just the absence of thorns. That would be a place... Let's switch to the pulpit, Mike. Ah. It would not be just the absence of thorns in the garden. It would be uh, far more than that. It's the, the presence and the flourishing of a garden. It looks like a garden teeming with produce and laborers singing as they collect the food and cooks cooking as they prepare a meal for all to enjoy together around a common table. And when I think about this contrast between thorns and produce, between war and peace, I can't help but remember uh, what sh- this shalom image comes to mind. From Dwight D. Eisenhower, Ike, when he was fed up with the beginning of the arms race after World War II, competing with the Russians for nuclear armament, he said this, he said, quote, Every gun that is made, every warship that is launched, every rocket fired signifies, in the final sense, a theft from those who hunger and are not fed. 
those who are cold and are not clothed, this world in arms is not spending money alone. It is spending the sweat of its laborers, the genius of its scientists, the hopes of its children. The cost of one modern heavy bomber is this. These are still the words of Ike. The cost of one modern heavy bomber is this, a modern brick school in more than 30 cities. A bomber could build two electric power plants, each serving a town of 60,000 people. It is two fine, fully equipped hospitals. It is some 50 miles of concrete highway. We pay for a single fighter plane with half a million bushels of wheat. We pay for a single destroyer with new homes that could have housed more than 8,000 people. This, I repeat, is the best way of life to be found on the road that the world has been taking. This is not a way of life at all. In any true sense, under the cloud of threatening war, it is humanity hanging from a cross of iron. End quote. What Dwight Eisenhower understood is that shalom, peace, is not just the absence of these things. It is, the goal is not just the absence of war or the preventing of war. It is the flourishing of society. What is the goal is, is great, great schools and great hospitals, great businesses and great economies, great families and marriages and, and recreation. And war steals all of that from a country and its individuals. Think about the costs of war as he laid out. But now think about the cost of, of worry and anxiety of the war that wages inside of you. You see, worrying about the future or the past robs you of the only time you can actually do something, which is right now. It steals the present from you. The most precious commodity you have wasted in war over what had happened or what might happen. Every minute spent in lust or adultery robs me of a chance to pursue and to woo the spouse that God has given me. Each network of lies that we create robs us of the intimacy that is created when we dare to enter into sincere and honest conversation. Every minute spent being defensive robs me of a chance to listen and understand and bless these thorns, this war that wages around us and inside of us robs us of our best thoughts and our best energy. But, 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 but Jesus wants to bring peace to your life. In fact, Jesus wants to give you peace. You remember in John 14, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace, shalom, flourishing to your life. And it was not just about the absence of worry, but the presence of joy and hope. It's not just the absence of fear, but the sure and certain knowledge that you are loved and valued. You see, Jesus wants to create humans and societies where hostility is cut out of that garden, is weeded out and replaced with love, where pride is uprooted so that humility can grow, where anger and wrath are cut off so gentleness can flourish where suffering produces compassion and where theft is uprooted for generosity, where bitterness is traded for forgiveness and indifference is replaced with intimacy, 
You see, every time Jesus says no, when he's saying don't lust, don't lose your temper, when he's saying learn suffering, when he's saying stop falling into the false identities of race and nationalism, when he says no to lying and no to cheating, when he says all of that, he's not saying no, he's actually saying yes to intimacy and to joy and to peace and to patience, to being known and to being loved. His no is always in service to a greater yes, and the yes that he wants to give you is shalom, is flourishing, a life where your life flourishes, your heart flourishes, your dreams flourish, your marriage flourishes, your children flourishes, your career flourishes, the life where the world flourishes, where there's more than enough to eat, that we share, that we have a good and pleasant hope. And so Colossians says, let the peace of Christ rule. I just rolled my R. Peace of Christ, rule in your hearts. What is this peace of Christ? What is first and foremost that peace that only Christ can give? That peace that comes from Christ. The peace that he himself gives in John 14 as he prepares to leave his disciples for the cross. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And I believe that this peace comes in three ways. It is a threefold peace. It is a threefold gift of shalom. The first, it is shalom with God. Shalom with God, flourishing in our relationship and our connection to God. I don't know about you, but most human beings I know don't feel like their relationship with God is flourishing. Most of them, even believers, struggle to identify the last time they felt like God talked to them or showed up. But we have shalom with God. Look at uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. This is another verse worth underlining in your Bible. Because you will need this verse to comfort you at some point. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. We have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. By faith in Jesus, by trusting that Jesus' death on a cross was satisfactory to cover all of my wrongdoing, I have peace with God. We now have peace with God. Peace with God. Shalom with God. Well, what was going on beforehand? What was going on beforehand? It tells us down in verses 6 through 8. It says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see that while we were enemies, verse 10, For if we, while we were God's enemies, were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, there was hostility between us and God. All humanity lived at enmity with God, considered God a threat to our sovereignty and a threat to our own well-being. And he was a threat to our sovereignty because you were never meant to run your own life. That's why it says, let the peace of Christ, what's the next word? Rule in your heart. The reason I have no peace is because I'm not letting the peace of Christ rule in my heart. 
I want to rule in my heart. I want to be king of my heart, on the throne of my heart. And for me to have peace, I have to get off the throne of my heart and then put the sufficiency, the wholeness, the completion of Christ in that place. And when I do, I have peace with God. Every human being has this existential fear that we are not loved, that has to be satisfied, or that this life is meaningless or purposelessness. We, as Christians, have seen that evaporate in the peace given to us by Jesus, that we are not at war with God. And so whatever comes into our life, no matter how bad it is, is not an attack from God, is not God trying to destroy us. God has already sworn He would never do that again to Noah. Whatever is coming is not an attack. It may be discipline, but there is an enormous difference between discipline and punishment, between conditioning, which is to make you stronger and to prepare you for the next stage of life, and for destruction, which is just retribution and vengeance. Because I have peace with God, I can move in the ways that Paul says. He says, because I have peace with God, we also can glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so this peace with God, this spiritual peace that I have, knowing God is for me, that God is with me, that God will move heaven and earth, yea, even the dead, to save me, to rescue me, to connect me to himself, gives me peace in my heart, even in the midst of suffering, because I know that suffering has a point, that there is no pointless suffering for Christians, that all of it is used to build me up into the image of Jesus, into the the character and the, the, the shape of Jesus, to create perseverance and character and character hope because God wants to shower us with love I don't have to wonder if God loves me I never have to wonder if God loves me or if God has abandoned me I never have to because my feelings are not reliable metrics for whether God is for me or whether God loves me My own brain is not a good metric. What is a good metric? The cross of Jesus where God demonstrates his love. And this yields the next part, shalom with self, inner shalom, peace within. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule means umpire. It's the the word for um, to be in charge, uh, to referee. Let the peace of Christ referee all other emotions inside your hearts. I don't know about you, but I don't know which emotion is the most strongly felt one inside of you, the one that dominates every other emotion. When I'm angry, I have a hard time of finding compassion. I have a hard time of finding uh, clear-headed thinking. I have a hard one. But this one says, let the peace of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the work done on the cross be the one that governs everything else you feel. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. You might want to turn there. They say this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In the peace of God, verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because you have peace with God, you can take all of this to God. Notice the end of verse 5 says, The Lord is near. Why is the Lord near? Because you're at peace with Him. You are in His presence, and so you don't have to be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can talk to God about whatever is going on, all your fears and anxieties, everything you're afraid of, everything you need, everything you're worried about. You can talk to Him about these. Jesus Himself loved to say it this way. He said, do not worry about what you eat and drink and wear. Think about the flowers of the field. No one has ever worn clothes more glorious than them. And yet God gives them those clothes. And they'll wear it for a day like these daffodils. And then they'll lay limp on the ground and you have to try not to mow them or else they won't ever blossom again. And he says, think about the sparrows of the sky. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet God knows when every single sparrow falls from the ground. He knows if a sparrow dies, God is aware of it. My dear child, don't you know you are worth many sparrows? You are worth, how much are you worth? Many sparrows. I would not put that in a greeting card to your wife on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Dear darling, you are worth many sparrows to me. But you are, you're worth much more than sparrows. And God is aware when sparrows fall. He knows every hair on your head. Every, uh, he knows every tear that falls. He sees what you're going through. He is not far because he is not at war with you. He is at peace with you, working for your good. And so take these things to him. And it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard. You see that word guard? That, that Greek word, the first word in Colossians is the word rule. It means to reign. It means to govern. It means to, to umpire, to reference. Uh, it's actually the, the literal word for the umpire in a wrestling or a boxing match. It's someone who's stronger than both the dudes wrestling so that he can separate them. He's, it's the bouncer in your heart. This word here in Philippians, the word guard, it means to garrison. It means to flood with protecting people. Think about like, um, you remember in the second Lord of the Rings movie when the elves show up at Helm's Deep and they take up all those positions? That's what happens in your heart when you pray. All of a sudden, all of a sudden the peace of God garrisons your heart, takes up defensive positions to protect your heart and your mind. And lastly, it gives us the shalom with others, this peace with others. Colossians 3 verse 15 said, For as members of one body, you, plural, you all, y'all, were called to peace. Y'all were called to peace. And when I'm at peace with God, and and so I'm not anxious or fearful, and I'm not motivated by that, I can be at peace with other beings, even human beings who don't like me, even my enemies. The reason I can is because, um, according to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians verse, or chapter 5, verses 16 through 19. Take a deep breath because I'm flying. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. For if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I can live at peace with the people around me 
Because God has reconciled me to himself at infinite cost. And I will never forgive anyone for more than Christ has forgiven me. And so I don't get to look at someone else and see sinner. I only get to see someone created in the image of God. Someone for whom Jesus died and loves. Someone whose sin has been paid for on the cross. And so that sin they just committed against me, it was paid for on the cross. Justice has been done in Jesus. And so I can seek their well-being. I can find ways to reconcile. This does not mean I have to stay in abusive relationships. It, the word shalom includes justice. And abuse is not just. But it does mean that I can forgive, that I can resist bitterness, that I can root out envy and strife. The reason the sins are listed in Colossians 3 is those are the sins that break apart churches. You've seen churches split by anger and bitterness, by race and division. You have seen it split by nations. That's why you have uh, whole churches that just encompass, they have like the Dutch Reformed Church. Because it came out of a country. It's why you have uh, African American churches and white churches because we split over race. You've seen churches break in half because a pastor had an affair or because an elder had an affair. You've seen churches split by lying and cheating, by greed and envy. And so Jesus attacks these in his word because he knows that we have been called to one body, to one peace. But we can't do this on our own. We can't. Where do we get this peace? How do we get this peace? First theological truth, three applications. You know how we get this peace? Not by telling it to ourselves. Most of us are consumed by worry. We get this peace from remembering what Jesus said. He said, peace. Look at John 14 one more time. It says, peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Think about that for a second. Peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. I've never thought about this before. But you and I have peace because Jesus left his peace with us. And not just in the sense of like, gave us a piece of it. Think about what happens next in the story of the Bible. I don't have a microphone on. (laughs) He is going to leave this dinner and where does he go? to the cross. Jesus will know no more peace. None. From this moment on, it will be all conflict. He will be a victim. He will be destroyed. And so you and I have peace because he had none. He gave us his peace and he went to our murderous death. He went and suffered the wrath of God and the wrath of humanity so that I can live at peace with God and know the love of God. I have peace because Jesus left it for me. He gave it to me and he took the hostility, the war that I had waged on God, he took that upon himself and he carried it to the cross and he nailed it to a tree. And so I have peace because Jesus left it. I have peace because he had none. And so I can do two things. I have control of three things in my life. The first is I have to rejoice and I have to be grateful. You saw Philippians said it. You saw uh, that Colossians said it. Rejoice. I have to train my brain to think on the positive. I was reading a book earlier this week that said negativity is easy. Negativity is lazy. 
It takes no work to think of bad things. They come very naturally. It takes hard mental exertion to think of positive and noble and lovely and true and worthwhile and praiseworthy things. It takes hard work. But my wrestling coach used to always tell me, you've got to think harder when you're tired, Andrew. You've got to think harder. Force your brain to tell your feet what to do. And so, friends, when you are in that cycle, when you are stuck in worry and negativity, we have to force our brains to think on what is good and right and true and beautiful and praiseworthy. This is why with my boys every night before they go to bed, the last thing we do is they tell me one thing that they're thankful for. They each have a prayer journal, and all the prayers in it just say this, Thank you, God, for blank. And they just have to give me one thing. Thank you, God, for blank. And it could be, thank you, God, for soccer today. Thank you, God, for pizza. Thank you, God, uh, for... I don't... Jacks are the funniest because they're like bulldozers and dump trucks and... Uh, but thank you, God. I want them to be people who go to bed remembering gratitude. Rejoice, be grateful. And the last one is a simple tool that I use every day. Some of you will know these words. I'm trying to do math in my head and talk, and it's not working. My clock is covered up right here, which means I can't even see it while I ignore it. <laughs> uh, I'm ahead of time. You may know these words. This is a prayer that has been prayed for the last hundred years. It was written by a Christian named Reinhold Niebuhr. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Most of you know that version and that version alone, but the prayer goes on. Reinhold says, prays this, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Friends, Paul is urging us. He is pleading with us. He is using strong words like rule and garrison. How do I let the knowledge that Jesus has saved me and I have peace with God rule in my hearts and in my head? How do I let it have supreme control when everything around me says the world is falling apart? When everything around me uh, says uh, that, that people are coming after me? When I'm fearful and scared, when I'm worried, when I cannot stop the anxiety in my heart, how do I do it? Well, if that's pathological then the first thing you do is you go see a doctor because you would go see a doctor if your leg was broken it's okay to go see a doctor if your brain is broken and then the second things you have control over I remind myself the truth God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change why can I accept the things that I cannot change who's in charge of the things I can't change God and is God for me or against me He's for me. I'm at peace with God. And so the most powerful being in the universe is for me. And so if it's out of my control, it's in God's control. And so I can accept that God is good, God is loving, God is powerful. Psalm 40, 
Psalm 62, at the very end of it, verse 10 says, One thing you have spoken, two things I have heard. You, my God, are loving, and you, my God, are strong. Those are the only two things I need to know about God. Is he loves me and he's strong. And so I can accept things that I cannot change. And so in my journals, you guys see me carry them around. The first thing I do when I'm anxious is I list out the things I cannot change. Actually, what I do is I list everything out, and then I go back through them, and I put can change, can't change, can change, can't change, can change, can't change. Most of the time it's can't, 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 can, can't, 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 can. Courage to change the things I can. You know that word courage is? You know the only time you can be courageous? When you're afraid? When you're anxious? When you're scared? That's the only time you can be courageous. You cannot have courage unless you feel fear. And so give me courage to do the right thing, even though I'm scared, even though I'm worried, to trust you, Jesus, even though I can't see the outcome, and the wisdom to know the difference. Let me be able to see what I can change and what I can't change. I journal through these things nearly every day in order to train my heart to trust God and to be grateful so that living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you, God, will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need peace. We're desperate for it. We need the flourishing that you offer. Lord, it's not just our country that spends our best resources on arms races and military conflicts. It's our souls that spend sleepless nights and worried days fighting battles with ghosts, fighting battles against terror, because we've forgotten that we have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. That we need not worry. For his eyes on the sparrow. And I know, I know he watches me. And so we will sing because we're happy and we'll sing because we're free. Whether we're like Paul and Silas stuck in prison, or whether we're like the worshipers on the Temple Mount in the very presence of God, we will sing because you have given us shalom. And we'll discipline our brains and our hearts to trust that. If you've never known that peace, but right now you're desperate for it, you can accept Jesus. You can become a Christian with a simple prayer. Praying is just talking to God, and you can do it with a simple prayer like this. God, I've been running my own life, and it's consumed me with worry and anxiety and fear, but I don't want to live like that. I want to know the peace that you offer in the cross of Jesus. I believe you died to save me, Jesus, and so I will follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. Friends, because the gospel's true,
Because we are at peace with God. We don't have to give God anything. We get to give God everything in order to partner with Him to share the love of God with one more human being, one more neighbor, one more friend. Come, let us worship God with our tithes and our offerings. Mm -hmm.